0: Welcome to episode 26 of CyberBytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co founder of Aspron Search. Today's guest, we have Sashank Tiwari, CEO and co founder at Uno.ai. Sashank is a serial entrepreneur based out of Palo Alto, and in this episode, reveals all about building a successful startup.
1: How are you, mate? I'm doing well. How are you doing Joseph?
0: Yeah I'm good thanks brother. I'm good. We've actually got some good weather in the UK for once so uh, enjoying that and looking forward to to this weekend. How about you? How you been?
1: Uh, Likewise you know California is nice weather normally around the year and this summer isn't blazing hot which gets sometimes. So I think yeah just you know staying put. Lots of work going on but also enjoying the nice weather and the good summers out here. Yeah amazing. Are you uh, off to Black Hat next month? Uh, Well I'm still thinking. You know, it's one of those conferences that you want to be. Yeah. But with an early stage startup, there's just so much going on all at once that you have to keep juggling between wanting to be everywhere and then. Focusing on the few things that need to get done. Right? Yeah, I hear so, you, mate. I hear still you. unsure. Still unsure. You might end up seeing me there if you're coming there.
0: <laughs> You'll be doing a cartwheel on the uh, strip, I imagine. <laughs> 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 uh, but look, Shashank, thanks for coming on, brother. Really, uh, really excited about this conversation. I know we uh, we spoke a few weeks back, and uh, we've now got the time locked in. So re- really excited about this one. So what what I do with all my guests is take it right back to where it all began and how you got into security. We can go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's always an interesting, I would say, origin story for everyone. And, you know, we have our own, uh, which I'm sure that those who were with us in the journey already know, but, you know, others might find both uh, interesting, inspiring, and also a little, little fun. So, you know, we've been, my co founder and I have been doing startups for a long time now. We've almost aged ourselves doing startups, if you may, (laughs) you know, over a decade and more. Uh, Lots of deep tech companies. So, we brought along with us a lot of experience, you know, having either been super early or being one of the key people, you know, sort of setting up interesting companies from hyperconvergence space to, you know, deep sort of ML type companies to security companies. And so when come pandemic, uh, which is essentially around 2020 summers, is when we were thinking, hey, we we're getting this each to go do the next thing, and um, the timing was interesting because you know in that moment summers of 2020 it was just unsure, nothing was clear. How long are we going to be sitting at home? Whether this pandemic is going to last forever? Is it going to get over in the next two weeks? And in a very funny and weird way, that actually allowed us the time and space we needed to really think through of what exactly is it that we'd like to do. You know the idea was to do something different, something you know, um that would be a category definer of some form, but you know the idea wasn't very crisp. It wasn't very clear. so so what we did was we flipped the story. You know, most companies in Silicon Valley, they build a cool, interesting product, you know, on the foundation of some awesome technology and then they try to figure out how to make money out of it. Uh, we said, well, let's flip the story. Let's go talk to all the, you know, CISOs, CIOs, all the leaders that we have known over the years, and ask them, where's the gap? You know, what is it that they don't have? Um, mm-hmm. And especially in security, if you start thinking about it, there are like five thousand companies already out there. So you know, the question then becomes, well, why do you want to be the 5, first? And so <laughs> we flipped it. We went. We started asking. It was actually very, uh, very educational and very good for us because I think we had gone in with some preconceived notions, and when we spoke to more and more of these leaders and more of the, more of these sort of you know people in the trenches, it became very clear that there were certain areas, you know, areas like skill gap, area like just proliferation of tools, just noise out there, which came over and over again, right? Like those themes sort of surfaced uh, in very diverse set of companies, from you know mid-sized cloud-first companies to large good old Fortune 500 enterprises to, you know, traditional businesses to modern businesses. They all seem to be at least, you know, saying the same thing. Uh, So that's what really informed us, right? And so we said, okay, you know what, we've got to go and try and solve this problem. Can we even solve this problem, right? And so uh, that's how we went, you know, deeper in that puzzle. And um, in terms of our own backgrounds, you know, we've done a ton of security over the years, but we aren't really what you would call the, you know, sort of the traditional security Professionals, if you may, in the sense that we hadn't spent two decades of a career trying to run some, you know, a, a, a compliance program or, you know, some sort of a security posture management program. We'd done none of that, right? In fact, what we have been doing is building deep tech companies, as I just mentioned. So mm-hmm. I think we were coming at it from a slightly different background. Of course, I had run engineering at a company called StackRox, which was one of the, you know, early leaders in the world of, uh, Container security, which later has become CWPP, CNAP, and what have you, right? That whole sort of space has emerged. And I've done a whole bunch of it in my prior life as well, you know, back at Medallia, back at Elementum. um, You know, Muru, my co founder, was an early guy at Tipco. So they'd done a whole bunch of security in the real time world. And then, of course, you know, he'd spend a lot of time doing data and ML, right? Where his sort of more foundational uh, strengths are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we sort of brought in both. I would say a healthy mix of uh, things that we knew about security, but we weren't colored enough, if you may. You know, We were still sort of quasi-outsiders, if I would use that word loosely, where uh, we weren't really deep security practitioners. We understood security a lot. We'd worked with it. We had been vendors in that space, but we brought in the alternative dimension of you know engineering and machine learning and AI into the picture, and that's how Uno was born, right? And so uh, sorry for the long answer, but, you know, that's the kind of story. It took us a little bit, honestly, before we got going, right? And so the company really came together fall of 2021, right? We've been talking about it for a little bit. We did a ton of discovery, but, you know, finally fall of 2021, everything seemed to be a line race, so let's go. And, um, you know, that's that's it. That's how it all began.
0: Yeah, lovely. Where does the um, entrepreneurial, uh, like, skill, I guess, come from in you?
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Um i don't know i guess i'm still learning uh, well it started i think the the very first entrepreneurial journey that i had was was a long 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 time back you know this was really almost two decades back where um, back when dot com boom really happened and i was super early in my career it was just getting started pretty much and you know in that era I was very enamored with with two ideas i was enamored with one idea that uh, something can be built so quickly right? Like uh, there is the possibility that somebody can conceive an idea and then, you know, kind of see through and build formidable, interesting brands and companies around it. And I was very fascinated by it. I think that in general, as a youth, I I kind of liked that idea. And I felt like I would like to be part of that puzzle somehow, someday. Um, And then of course, you know, uh, two decades back, like I mentioned, everyone was trying to be an entrepreneur. So I think the, the winds were in that direction. Yeah, so nice. I had a little flavor of it, I would say, you know, it's like a tasting session of some form, right, <laughs> where I indulged myself in it a tiny bit for some time. And then I went back to the corporate sector and worked, in fact, in the most traditional of traditionals. you know, I was working in the investment banking world and you know, the Wall Street world mm-hmm. for a good part of my early career. So, you know, sort of segwayed back into the big you know, traditional companies, of course, doing a lot of interesting leading-edge technology. But uh, at some point in time, I guess I had that uh, little fever, if you may, the entrepreneurial fever, which kind of came back to me, um, you know, late uh, 2000s and uh, 2004, five is when I gave it a second pass, if you may. And then after that, you know, startups and entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. have become just me, right, for better or for worse. And similarly, I think with Muru, and which is why I guess that's how you end up finding your co-founders, I presume, is like, you know, his experience, and he can, of course, you know, speak to it himself. But, you know, what I understand of it is uh, his early experience at Tipco was very both inspiring and also defining, right? And so at that point, Tipco was a startup when he became part of that journey, you know, super small company, uh, you know, radically redefining real time. And he went through that whole journey, and then at the end of it, felt like, well, why should I go work for a larger company? I've just had so much fun, I built so many things, I learned so many things so rapidly, and uh, you know, this is just all around inspiring. So let's keep doing more of it, right? And so he's also stayed in the whole sort of startup world, one way or the yeah. other. So for us, in some sense, I would say it's almost second nature. Like I don't think we would be very good fits in a very large, well-defined company, to be honest. But you know, we've we've done that from time to time. So I think we do have some flavor of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. it says on on your LinkedIn, uh, company building is in my DNA, which I love. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what skills or behaviors do you think, like uh, a company builder or an entrepreneur, what what they need to have?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Truly, like I mentioned, right, like that is something that I've done for a long time. And also something I really enjoyed doing, right? Like, my uh, my sort of take is there are there are two or three things you need uh to do effective company building right and they're in some sense are very contradictory but you need them all at the same time so on one side you need the i would say the hustle the you know the sort of restlessness of wanting to build a company right where you have to really uh go after a problem space with a lot of commitment you have to be in that active learning mode you have to Go, you know, uh, scour through your network and connections and friends and all the people you worked with to kind of leverage that to jumpstart, right? Like there's a lot of that puzzle when you start any company whatsoever, or even if you have an existing company and you want to kind of accelerate it, right? So, so there's that whole thing around, you know, broadly that the industry likes to call, you know, sort of hustle, grit, you know, all all the nice, interesting words that <laughs> entrepreneurial, uh, you know, inspirational uh, leaders, I guess, keep talking about, but, you know, it just boils down to that. Like, do you have it in you to, to go after it? Right. Like, are you, are you one of those with the sort of athlete mentality to go play the game? Right. So you definitely need that. Um, and I think that aspect of uh, entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial leader or, you know, early member of any entrepreneurial team really gets you going. And it gets you going because, you know, really, if you think about it from when, during most company, in fact, every company building process, the odds are kind of against you, right? You've got less money, you've got less people, you've got less time and all your supposed competition or the incumbents have all more of well, all of it. Right. And so if you were to logically think through all of those parameters, you would convince yourself you should never do it, right? So you've got to have that hustle Mm -hmm. and a little bit of restlessness to say, no, I'm going to break through the wall. So you need that on one side, right? But the the flip part of it is that, you know, if you are uh, too much in that hustle mode, you could also burn yourself out, right? And you could also become very operationally focused, very day-to-day task-to-task focused, which happens, which has happened to me as well from time to time in the past. And I think that what separates, in my opinion, and this is again, part learning, part observing others and just being long enough in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. uh, the, the part that starts becoming interesting, and this is where people start building, you know, formidable, large category defining companies is where they can both do the hustle at one level, but also start separating themselves out of it and start thinking more strategic, right, mm-hmm. where they have the ability to think a little further out, five years out, 10 years out, start reading the, you know, sort of the patterns in the industry uh, start making some bets um you know taking on the i would say the the important tasks around inspiring others to come join the journey because you know obviously building a company is a team sport you can't do it all so you need all kinds of smart people around you and with you and so you know start starting to do a lot of those things right like where you are looking at more strategic more long term more sort of calm and uh, you know thoughtful oriented tasks and then, if you can combine both somehow, you know the hustle on one side, and then all these strategic, long-term, big investments, and you bring it together. Well, then, yeah, uh, you know we know what what happened in Silicon yeah, Valley, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's kind of like that. Yeah,
0: um, you're an advisor on a ton of uh, businesses. You're on the board and an advisor for many different firms. What for particularly startups? What are the sort of common mistakes that you see like founders make on their journeys?
1: Yeah, there are some common ones, you know, um, and yes, I've been lucky enough to be part of some, you know, interesting startups, and I'm learning with them as well as as much as I'm trying to help them, I think they're kind of helping me understand and learn more right as I interact with them. Well, the the first common mistake really that most founders end up doing is, um, you know, how much to uh, define their own product. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when you start a company and you start trying to raise money and inspire others, you have this humongous goal, right? And you're painting this picture about the future that is absolutely fascinating and, you know, that you're going to be part of or you're going to go build, right? And so you've got this humongous big goal, right? Um, now, the, the 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 gap that starts the moment you, you start building the company is, well, you can't build it all. You don't have the resources. You don't have the people. You don't have the time, as I mentioned earlier. And so then the question is, well, which battle do you pick first, right? And I've seen that most startup founders do not understand, especially the first-time founders do not understand the fact that it is impossible, even for the smartest out there in this universe, to fight like five battles all at once. You just won't be able to do it and you won't come back alive, right? Like it just doesn't work. Uh, But they want to believe it because they're ambitious people, right? So most of them will just take on multiple things all at once. They will try to build the product quickly, at the same time, try and accelerate their go-to-market before they're ready, mm-hmm. uh, try to also take on some big partnerships or something of that form. We'll also try to innovate and spend time in use, some sort of a research. And the, the, the real problem that comes out of it is not the fact that they won't make progress, but they would make a lot of little progress everywhere. And fast forward six months, one year, two years, um, their net effective position is still sort of unknown right the product is kind of ill-defined still at that point in time Their go to market strategy is still also on sort of shaky ground and much of the other effort has also not yielded the kind of fruits that they thought it would right so i think like that's the worst situation that the founder can be in where they've worked super hard for let's say year two years and don't know where they are right they're kind of in that lost battleground Mm -hmm. you know they have they have a scar from here and a scar from there. And you know everyone's still sort of with their swords out. And so like, which one to fight next? And you're just looking around a little confused, right? And so I think like bringing that back, what I usually try to tell every first time founder that I work with is like, pick your battles, pick your top one or two things go deeper into it rather than going, going wide. Uh, Solve those problems first, like, so if it means, hey, if engineering is my foundation, I need to hire the best engineers in town and, you know, start building the product and have the right sort of mindset and architecture and flow, well, solve that first, right? Get that done in the first six months so that you have a good foundation to build on. If go-to-market is your primary strength, well, then nurture those, right? Go build your pipeline actively first, as much as your product is going to be there. And of course, you've got to sell the product, but, If you're a go to market first company, well, then you got to double down and build your pipeline, understand where your customers are, figure out the pricing strategy, see how you're going to go and monetize it, whether you need a POC or not, you know, like those kinds of things, you should be very well known, right? And so, so that's really it. I think it's boils boils down to prioritization, right? And if I have a word for it, which I like to say, which is ruthless prioritization, which is an extreme form of prioritization, I even ended up writing something on that in a Forbes article. Um, and the idea was just that you know that as a founder you have to be truly ruthless in terms of prioritization pick the one or two battles fight it hard and then you know pick another one or two fight it hard again but you know go
0: one battle yeah, nice. at a time yeah awesome I'll put that in the uh, the short notes the uh, the Forbes article I've just wrote that down ruthless prioritization love that so um let's talk about Uno uh
1: tell me more what are you guys up to at the moment Well, so we started like, like I was saying, you know, it's easy to preach others and then you got to hold yourself accountable. So so that's what's going on. We started our own journey about 18 months back, right? And we had this big sort of, you know, ambitious goal. Uh, uh, As I mentioned earlier, we started speaking to all these prospective buyers and industry thought leaders and walked out of it saying, hey, we've got to build something radically new. Mm -hmm. That radically new in our understanding was a thinking machine. We said, Hey, it's not about tools, there are plenty out there. I think we've got to build this super smart analyst, a thinking machine, a co-pilot of some form, that then can become a member of the team and start giving higher value right out of the tools and investments that these teams have already made and you know the programs that they're aspiring to uh, to bring to life, right? And so our idea was, well, why don't we build this machine that does everything that perhaps a smart analyst or architect does, right? Like, So which means they would do the triaging, they would do the thinking, they do root cause analysis, they would stitch stories, you know, figure stuff out in terms of what's going wrong, both proactively and, you know, retroactively. So like basically attack surface versus incident response and, you know, basically be the smart architect on, on every role, right? And so... Now you can be a force multiplier and, you know, do a lot more faster, quicker, better, right? So like, that's the kind of big ambition we started out with. Um, And we made a lot of progress, you know, last 18 months have been phenomenal and very crazy as well, all simultaneously, right? So we've been (laughs) on this super sort of super fast roller coaster, if you may, up and down and up and down and having (laughs) fun. Uh, But yeah, we've, we've come at a very, very good position right now where we have an early product, early customers are super excited. You know, the team has come together really well. Um, Lots of great feedback, right, overall. Um, Plus the fact that the industry, you know, when we started 18 months back, uh, there was no concept of really an assistive copilot. In fact, we had to give people almost five-page explanatory notes to help them understand why do we even exist, right? Like today, that's not difficult because thanks to ChatGPT GPT and all the you know, renewed interest in AI, everyone knows what a co-pilot kind of does or a conversational assistant. And of course, we're doing a lot more than that, but it's easy to start the conversation. Now we go and say, hey, you know, this chat GPT and the conversational assistant and copilot pilot big, big companies are talking about. Well, something to that and smarter can be on your team as far as security goes, right? And would you like to have a conversation? Would you like to give it a try, right? So now the uh, sort of the starting lines or uh, you know opening the doors has become far uh, smoother i would say right like it's easy for people to relate to what the tool might be able to do then of course they get their hands on it and you know get excited even more when they see all the good detail oriented stuff that the tool does uh, so i think that's where we are you know broadly speaking a good foundational initial product in place you know go to market motion uh, sort of humming and we intentionally leaned on it after we built the initial product, right? So we kind of uh, held ourselves back, not trying to uh, proactively sell too early, sell too fast. But at the same time, we had engaged a lot of design partners who, of course, had been very helpful and very instrumental in defining the product. And now it's about scaling, the next level of scaling, right? But uh, as with the world of startup goes, as we both have been sort of uh, saying a little bit in this, this session as well is... Uh, it's back and forth and prioritization and, you know, the um, uh, picking the battles, if you may, right? So we've got some battles to fight now. We've got some new battles to fight, right? Like where we've got yeah. uh, go to streamline our go-to-motion, uh, build the next generation of features on the product, expand the organization, bring on more leadership. And uh, that's what's happening,
0: you know. Yeah. How important was uh, the research prior to to thinking about the solution?
1: Very fundamental. Mm. I don't think we would have reached this far or this fast without it. You know, yeah. the, uh, the the biggest, I think, benefit was that it was actually twofold. One was that we got to speak to a lot of potential CIO CISOs and I think we uh, we in some sense did what typically companies end up doing after they have a product, right? And uh, once you have a product and then you start figuring out where your market is, it's a, it's a funny situation. And why I say funny situation very intentionally, those words is because On one side, you want to move fast because now you have the product. You're ready, right? But at the same time, um, you can't because you're still in the discovery mode. So there's this weird dichotomy of wanting to move fast, but then, hey, I got to do my discovery. Otherwise, I might just fall flat on my face. So uh, so that just creates like an impedance mismatch right at that phase of the company. Mm-hmm. And also it's expensive because, you know, by then you've already started burning through the monies that you may have raised or the monies that you've invested out of your own pocket or whatever is funding your venture, right? Like if there's some, there's gotta be some means of funding your initial venture and, mm-hmm then that that clock starts ticking. So now you get into this very quick time boxed panic type mode where you're saying, hey, there's impedance mismatch. I'm not sure if my product is gelling well and then my money's running out. So, you know, I got to get my story together. So I think like if if you do this proactively, because it really doesn't cost anything, Go start learning, right? Like it it honestly doesn't cost a dime to go start mm-hmm. learning because you can literally casually start these conversations with your own network and then get more introductions and start talking. We, of course, were a little lucky just having been long enough in this yeah. industry. You know, a lot of people gave us audience, but nonetheless, I would say even a first-time founder can start doing it. It's not rocket science, right? Like start tapping into your own network, start talking to friends, get introductions, and just basically start learning, right? And what that did for us was that research helped us fine tune the early product in a very clear, crisp manner. We avoided a few mistakes. We avoided going down paths that otherwise we honestly would have because, you know, we thought it was very cool and it was very interesting. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's a commercial product and you've got to take it to life and, you know, bring it to companies, you got to figure out what they really need. It's got to map to some need. It's got to map to some, you know, existing pain point, right? So I think like that definitely helped us a lot, right? Like that was very beneficial. Mm-hmm and then the second part of the research was really around what i would say is technology so you know i i have talked i've talked about this in the past in other podcasts as well that you know especially in silicon valley there's this deep desire at all points in time to build some something awesome with respect to technology right like a majority of the people here are very inspired by new tech next tech right like that's what drives people uh, the the big part of the big question that that is often not talked about is that is that technology, you know, while in concept, in in theory, looking very attractive, uh, can it actually scale? Can it actually be applied to, you know, use cases and real world problems? And can it actually solve them in a reasonable time within reasonable cost in a reasonable manner? Right. And so those things usually get explored over a period of time. And that's why we see all these very interesting companies being born and sometimes being shut down as well after two, three years of, very interesting product building because eventually what they realized, oh, it's too expensive to actually build it, right? So it's not viable. Nobody's going to buy it. Or you know what? The technology is not ready right now because it needs like five other things to be ready before it can really become real, right? So like all those things are just the common problems uh, one runs into as an entrepreneur. And so our piece was that why don't we take it almost like a science experiment, right? And so even when we started building before writing like production code, we said we're going to spend some time just experimenting on the toughest parts of the problem, right? Like the most difficult ones that we are also a little unsure about. Let's make sure we build a prototype. Let's make sure we dig a little deeper. Let's make sure we even read some you know, outstanding research, talk to even some people in academia and researchers in the space, and just make sure that we are not making some fundamental assumptions or mistakes that is going to just come back and bite us later, right? And so I think both these investments, one on understanding, learning the market, and then of course, the feasibility of technology um, and the fact that, yeah, it can actually be done. And yes, there are some roadblocks and some new things that we'll bring to market, right? There is innovation as just part of the puzzle, but it's within the realm of possibility. Yeah. And when I say within the realm of possibility is also in terms of cost and commercialization and readiness of the market. You know, I think like we kind of did that yeah. starting and investment and, you know, that was good. You know, that definitely helped us a ton. Amazing. Final question. What advice... Well, would you
0: have given your younger self like 20 years ago when you started all this? <laughs> or what, what, what advice would you give to, to, to first-time founders and looking to go on their, their journey?
1: Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that I do reflect on. And I think like that's what I would tell my younger self. And you know, I continue to try to tell others who ask for advice is uh, one is focus a lot on learning early. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that especially when you're young and you start, it's very unclear what the world is going to be like 10 years, 20 years, fast forward, right? At least I didn't know, right? Like I was a, I was ambitious, hardworking human being, even when I was much younger, but uh, you know, I was just that ambitious, hardworking, like it's kind of stopped there. I didn't, I don't believe I had a, a big vision or understanding of what the future may be like, or, you know, what I could become or how I could impact things, you know, that was still kind of fuzzy and which is fine. You know, when you're 20 something, you don't know all the answers to all those questions. Um, but then I also now feel both from my own learnings and also from observing other people, right, who have uh, had, I would say, disproportionate amounts of impact in society, is that uh, many of these people who've, and when I say disproportionate impact in multiple ways, whether they built companies or done something very meaningful for society or, you know, just come out with some very foundational, uh, uh, you know, technology or innovation or social change or whatever that they have done, right, like there are multiple people, and lots of smart people in the world. Um, I think most of them invested heavily in learning early on in their career, right? And they took the long-term view where the idea was like, hey, if I want to build a technology company, I want to go work in technology companies early and I want to go deeper in that space and find the piece that really works well for me and, you know, go deeper and deeper and deeper in that rabbit hole and, uh, you know, build my expertise uh, by working there for a few years, right? Or working in certain difficult, challenging problems up early and, that's sort of helping them shape, right? Helping Mm -hmm. them figure out both what they want to do and also, uh, you know, what they they end up becoming finally. So I think that I would definitely say, you know, lean on learning. So like even your first job or the first couple of jobs shouldn't be about, hey, how much money am I making? Or is this job fancy in the eyes of society? I think like all those are irrelevant in the long run, to be honest. I think like find one that really sort of drives you, right? Mm -hmm. Find the one that you're most curious about. Uh, go chase it, right? Go chase it, go chase it with, you know, full heart and, you know, uh, mind and soul, and you want to come out only stronger. So I think that's one thing I would definitely say, you know, lean on learning. The other part that I also feel I think kind of, which is in some sense, maybe partially contradictory, but it does make sense when you start looking at journeys per se, is that um, be open to surprises, right? And so, you know, journeys are all about surprises. And, entrepreneurship is like the epitome of surprises to be honest right because there are days and you know you yourself run a company Joseph so you can Mm -hmm. perhaps either agree or disagree with me here but uh, it's really hour to hour sometimes you know there's a phenomenal morning where it's very productive a lot of things are coming together your business is humming and then you know, three o'clock in the afternoon and it uh, feels like the world's coming to an end, right? Like suddenly the things are kind of, you know, falling apart and then next morning again, back in energy, right? So there are these daily surprises and then there are some big surprises, right? Like big contracts come through. Suddenly you meet some interesting people, some interesting ideas come through, you make an excellent hire, some new strategy plays out very well. So there's always these new surprises also that keep coming your way because you're deliberately kind of, you know, in the quest for those, right? You're kind of asking for surprises at some level, if you ask me. And so I feel like, you know, when you're on journeys, many a times it could unsettle people, especially early in their career, Right. And uh, I would say even radically, it could even be radically different things. I'm not even saying only good surprises. I spoke about good, but even like bad surprises, so to speak. Uh, For example, you know, I I can give you a couple of tangible examples. You know, I know of people who joined very fancy careers and jobs. And then suddenly the economy turned and they lost their job and they were now back in the market. That happened to a lot of very smart people. And in fact, many of those smart people I see now, you know, 15, 20 years, fast forward, have become some very successful leaders in their sphere. And I do believe quite strongly that the initial experience that surprise that hit them out of the left field really kind of helped shape them, right? And mm-hmm. so, because then they became very deliberate about their choices, they started thinking about it, they took it in their stride, right? And so, uh, you know, that is what I would say. These two things are kind of very important um, early on, and I would certainly do more of it if I could go back, you know, and I've had a time machine in my hand today. <laughs> Amazing. And, thanks for coming on brother all the best with uno go and chase it as you say and uh i'm sure it's going to be a great success man well thank you so much likewise to you you know you've got some awesome business going and wish you all the success